welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and definitely the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, episode 497. As before, I am still your writer, host, and producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I am excited for this week's episode for a couple of different reasons, and one of those reasons is, well... Okay, there's only one really good reason, and that's that you guys and gals are here, really. I mean, you know what the show is about. You saw the headline, the title of this episode. You saw the thumbnail. You know we're talking about The Creeping Terror. Yeah, that movie from 1960, was it four? I don't remember. Chris and Dominique corrected me, though. That's right, Chris and Dominique are on this week's episode of the podcast. That's Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland, and Dominic Lamsey's from The House of Silent Graves. I'll make sure there are links to both of those in the show notes, if they're not already in the permalinks section of the website. We got together, we met up for one reason, and then ended up recording about, well, okay, we planned to talk about this too, but, you know, it was just an odd day. It's actually something that we did together in person, which I haven't done in a very, very long time. Yes, we were safe. We wore masks when we needed to wear masks. We were socially distant from everybody. We did everything right. We just made a miscalculation in regards to what day we decided to meet at the cemetery. And I'm just going to let that hang there in the air until you get to that part of the show. Now, Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland does appear in this week's episode. I'm going to play that right before we get into the conversation that I have with Chris and Dominique. It is one of my favorite audio pieces that he has put together. It actually inspired me to do a little extra on the audio production, you know, mixing in music, that sort of thing. So I really hope I lived up to what Kenny delivered. So that's coming up. Also, what is becoming a fan favorite here is Mark Metzke's Beta Capsule Reviews. I need Kaiju in my life on the regular, and Mark has been hooking us up with his Beta Capsule Reviews of all things Ultraman. Right now, he's in Ultra Q, which is the first series that birthed the Ultraman franchise. Maybe you could call it like Ultraman Zero? Kind of? Sort of? Anyway, it's a really good episode that he ends up talking about. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. We also have some listener feedback that we're going to get to this week as well, as well as a couple of announcements about things that are coming up in the future. And uh, episode 500 is on the way, too. So we're going to talk about all of that right now. Count Yorga Vampire is a horror-haunted tale that will take you beyond the boundaries of shock, past the threshold of fear, into a world of the almost human. Vampires have always fascinated me. They should. Their intelligence is far superior to humans. Is it true that vampires must be in their resting places before the sun rises? That if the rays of the sun hit them, they will disintegrate? (laughs) In Count Yorga Vampire, she-creatures of unspeakable cravings become the mistresses of the Death Master, Count Yorga. No, this film is not of centuries past. It is a film of today. It could happen to you. Perhaps it is already happening to someone you know. Today, young people find it fascinating to dabble in the supernatural, and now they and their ladies pay the penalty in Count Yorga Vampire. See Count Yorga Vampire, rated GP. Parental guidance suggested. 
Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. I feel my search is nearing an end. At last, the collectible toy oasis. Hey, Henry! Hey, kid! What's it gonna be? Indy or Han? Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. Hi, this is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio, why don't ya? Here in the feedback section of the show right now, I'm going to fire up the monster in the machine to read a listener email. Hey Derek, I've read Conjure Wife back in the 70s and at an age when some parts of it probably went over my head. One detail that sticks in my mind is the story asserts that all women are taught witchcraft. I remember one scene where the couple are on the run, and they stop to eat. At the place setting, to help ward off evil, the wife turns the silverware 90 degrees from its usual way, so the pointy parts aren't pointing at her husband or herself. The waitress sees this, and her eyes grow wide, because she knows what it means. I'm not sure what a woman reader would make of it, probably that all women but her were taught witchcraft, if, in fact, she didn't know witchcraft, or maybe that witchcraft was falling off generally these days in the US, where the only cat people are immigrants. As to the story's length, it looks to be a short novel, 150 to 190 pages, depending on the page. A paperback, or a slim hardback, but it would need to be bound with two others to make a respectable-sized book. Which is why I had a bit of trouble finding it at the library. It was part of a book called Witches 3 with two other short novels by two other authors, and shelved under one of the other author's name. One of the other novels was There Shall Be No Darkness by James Blish. This had been a short story, one of the earliest science fiction explanations of werewolves, and became the movie The Beast Must Die. To expand it into a novel, he added a second plot with a witch, no science fiction explanation of witchcraft. Thinking about my library back then reminds me of old-time radio. My library had a selection of cassettes. I seem to remember the cassettes had typewritten labels on them, and no insert card in the box. What a public library deal in gray market material. One we kids found was War of the Worlds. We rushed it home to listen to, a Lux Radio Theater adaptation of the 1953 movie. Understand, it was great to have a copy of the sound effects of the Martian heat ray and all, but not what we were looking for. Compliments for your 500th episode. You make such a great show that it's easy to overlook such small faults as the 500th episode not falling on Halloween. You were so close. It's called planning, man. From Jack. Jack, thanks for writing in. Now, he mentioned in the email, and I, I didn't have the monster in the machine read this, but he mentioned the ISFDB website, the Internet Speculative Fiction Database, which you can find at isfdb.org. This is an excellent source for details on science fiction, fantasy, and supernatural novels and short stories. And yeah, even I have a listing there for the Mark Temple book that I've done, as well as an article that I did for Strange Ants magazine a while back. 
But I'll make sure there's a link to this as well, because it's a fascinating resource that I highly recommend you spend some time exploring, because as if our two read piles aren't tall enough. Anyway, Jack, thank you for writing in. I appreciate you letting us know about Conjure Wife. I will get around to reading this at some point. I do have it on the to-read list, the to-read pile, so to speak, and it is right there near the top, but you know, as I go along and I'm on the internet and I'm doing some research for this or that or, you know, just scrolling through Facebook or checking some of my D&D forums or, you know, whatever, I get 10 to 20 new book titles thrown at me and usually a couple of them end up on my to-read list. I will get to Conjure Rife. Tell you what, I don't think I'm going to get to it this year, but next year in 2021 will be the year of the Conjure Wife. I'm fascinated by the idea of this book. And I had heard before from other people that Conjure Wife purports that all women know witchcraft. And I find that interesting on a couple of different levels. One, it kind of sets them aside as an other as a a force apart from humanity, apart from man. But then it also sets them up in a position of power over men because they're the ones to teach. It just sounds really interesting to me. I can't wait to dive into it. Uh, You also mentioned uh, the James Blish novel, There Shall Be No Darkness. I don't know anything about that book either. All I really know about James Blish, forgive me if there's something that I'm missing here, but all I really know about him is that he wrote some of the Star Trek novelizations of the original series. Guess I'll check out the Internet Speculative Fiction Database to learn more about him. But if that's what became The Beast Must Die, that sounds awesome because I really like The Beast Must Die. Actually, I don't think I've talked about it here on the show. I know it's in the 70s, so maybe that's why I didn't touch it. But I do enjoy that movie, and um, maybe I'll talk about it in the future here on the show. And The War of the Worlds by Lux Radio Theater. I did stumble across that when I was looking for audio to pull to use in that episode of Old Time Radio. Yeah, it's cool, but it's not the Mercury Theater. It's not Orson Welles. Thank you for writing in. I really appreciate it. And yeah, you know, the 500th episode, not falling on Halloween. I I tried. Not really. I mean, that was seven years ago when I launched the show. I suppose I could. Well, now I missed it, actually. So I really can't. Oh, well. Pretty close. Pretty close. Once again, thanks for writing in. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Come with us if you dare into a twilight world of unspeakable horror. You must die. Everybody must die. Sample, if you dare, the deadly passion of the vampire lovers. The vampire lovers. Perverted creatures of the night find their victims everywhere. The unsuspecting merrymakers in glittering ballrooms with their young and tender throats. The sleeping beauties whose troubled dreams turn into real terrifying nightmares. For God's sake, save her! (laughs) 
No escape till their evil hearts are still for all eternity. If one remains, yes, even one, there will be thousands more. Beware. Beware the cold caress, the kiss that kills. Beware the vampire lovers. A world-famous scientist, greatest living master of the occult, has mysteriously vanished. In his place, a huge and fearsome prehistoric monster suddenly appears. What happened to Dr. Waterman? Only one man, last to see him alive, knows. And now he finds himself in deadly peril. The weird, the unbelievable, the supernatural come alive before your very eyes in Equinox. The invisible barrier between good and evil, between light and the forces of darkness. What is the secret of the thousand-year-old book? See four teenage boys and girls fight a devil cult for their lives, their sanity, their eternal souls in Equinox. In supernatural color, I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Don't let the title of the 11th episode of Ultra Q fool you. Belunga is not nearly as lighthearted as the name suggests. Instead, this installment of the series, which aired March 13, 1966, is a straight-ahead Monster on the Loose tale in which the trio of Ipe, Iroko, and June are featured players. The story centers on a space organism that attaches itself to a manned rocket, causing it to fail upon re-entry. When June and Yuriko fly over the crash site, their plane is drained of gas, and upon later inspection, Ipe discovers an amorphous substance affixed to the plane. While transporting the substance for further analysis, the car's fuel rapidly depletes and the blob begins to inflate and float like a balloon. Its expansion causes the car to fly apart and some of the wreckage lands on Ipe, who is gravely injured. Balunga begins siphoning off Tokyo's energy sources, growing exponentially. 
City officials plan a blackout to cut off Belunga's feeding frenzy, but what will that mean for patients like Ipe, who need surgery? Will the scientist who discovered Belunga be willing to help? And did I mention there's a typhoon heading towards the mainland? Belunga is like a 25-minute special effects film from the golden age of Japanese cinema, enhanced by the chemistry of Ultra Q's cast. Especially poignant is guest actor Hiroyoshi Aono's portrayal of scientist Dr. Naramaru, who has a highly personal interest in Belunga. Aono also appeared in Akira Kurosawa's dramatic film Ikaru in 1952 with Takashi Shimura, star of Seven Samurai, Godzilla, and many other classics. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. 
Fozzie Bear, Buzz Lightyear, Link Hogthrob, Doug, Janice, Merida, Pepe, Bruce, Ralph the Dog, Wally, Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we are still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We are not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Thanks, Track, for that spoiler warning. Like I said at the top of the show, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to roll into Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland first, and then we're going to go directly into the conversation that Chris and Dominique had with me about the creeping terror. Heads up, I can't remember if I said this at the top of the show or not. We had the movie playing in the background. We had it muted, but we had it playing in the background while we were recording. So every once in a while, we got a little distracted. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, I want to take you back in time. It is 1964, and you are a 10-year-old Monster Kid, in the perfect time to be a Monster Kid. All of culture is reaching out to you to entice you into Monster Kid Heaven. On TV, you have The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, and the brand new made-for-you Monsters and Adams Family. Don't forget your local horror hosts bringing the classics every week. The newsstands have both Famous Monsters and its sister magazine Monster World, among others. But the funnest place to get your Monster Kid fix was in the local movie theater. There was nothing better than being in a dark room with other monster kids screaming in delight at the latest horrorwood beastie to get you from the big screen. So far this year, you have been inundated with classics from Corman and Hammer. Last year, you were scared by The Haunting, thrilled by Jason and the Argonauts, mesmerized by King Kong vs. Godzilla. This year, you have spent more time in front of the boob tube, but there is nothing like the scintillating cinema experience and you can count on Famous Monsters to give you a heads up on the latest thriller flick at the Bijou. The year is coming to an end, and FM31 comes out. A photorealistic painting of Boris Karloff's Imhotep invites you into a world of monsters and mayhem. Your eyes scan the contents, and you see this subtitle. Exclusive preview of Horrorwood's latest monster movie. That is what you're looking for. You flip to page 30 and find the title, The Next Scarefest, coming to your local cinema. The Creeping Terror. You scan the massive eight-page article, loaded with pictures of bloodied victims and a horrendous alien monster. You can only imagine how wonderful it will be. Will it move like a fantastic Harryhausen creature? Will it be like a Japanese monster destroying intricate miniature sets? You go to the beginning and begin to read the article, which dives directly into the thrilling story. Your heart races with glorious anticipation as you read about exciting scenes like this. 
Martin receives a call from Caldwell on his car radio. The creature has been sighted at Harris, and the defenses are being sent in to hunt it down. The creature continues to seek out victims. It crawls yekily across the highway and into the woods and sights the bright glow of a drive-in movie theater. Attracted, the alien monster slithers toward it. Near the rear of the lot, a young couple has parked their car and are quite surprised to have the creature invade the vehicle and digest its occupants. In moving toward the illuminated movie screen, the creature accidentally terrifies a number of people in the automobiles, one of whom is idiotic enough to turn a spotlight on the alien monster. However, as the owner of the spotlight sees what is caught in the beam of light, he quickly regrets his mistake and leaps under the dashboard. But the creature, who doesn't particularly care for being put in the spotlight, apparently is not one to forgive human foibles. It advances with waving eye stalks and dripping mouth toward the car and pokes its slimy head through the open window. The occupant yanks one of its eye stalks. The creature howls and swallows him. You can't wait. You scramble to your town's daily newspaper and head directly to the movie listings and you see it's here. Your Saturday is instantly planned, and the longest week of your life drones on minute by minute as you imagine the chills and thrills that await you. Your patience is tried and your character is built as you struggle to wait for the moment the creeping terror begins. It is Saturday now, and you are seated in the theater, robotically eating your popcorn as you watch the trailers for future attractions. Each one seems to last hours as the anticipation for creeping terror grows and grows. And then... It begins. The music and credits are odd. Something doesn't seem right. The painful feeling of disappointment begins to enter your gut. This man's name is Martin Gordon. When the narration starts, the smell of Limburger cheese begins to invade your eyes and ears. This is not what you expected. Not at all. The monster makes an uncustomarily early and prolonged appearance and all hope disappears. You have been ripped off. You quickly realize that the producers are rejoicing because they broke even with the 75 cents you paid for the movie. Every penny paid by the rest of the wide-eyed, dumbstruck monster kids is pure profit. Your mind begins to wander. Should I just leave? Join in the booing and jeering? You decide to close your eyes and wish. Wish it could be as scary as The Innocence. Wish it could be as awe-inspiring as The Incredible Shrinking Man. Wish it could be as thrilling as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But nothing changes. As you watch a victim feed herself to the toilet seat mouth of the carpet monster, a deep feeling of sadness, anger, and disappointment overwhelms you. You return home. Numbed by the experience, you take your famous Monsters 31 and decide to desecrate its hollowed pages. You grab pages 30 through 37 and rip them out. You have made the issue worthless, but it was worth it. You are comforted at the release of anger you manifested, and you feel satisfied that anyone in the future who comes upon this particular issue 31 of Famous Monsters will be saved from the experience you have just lived. You can only hope other monster kids are doing the same. Hope that any vestiges of the creeping terror would be lost forever in 1964. Alas, it would not be, as evidenced by our show today. For indeed, 56 years later, we are still watching, and dare I say, appreciating, this horrendous pile of alien toilet mouth carpet monster.
That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Here we are in the game room at Dominique's house, playing in the background on mute. Oh boy, it's a movie that every time I look over, I can't look away from easily. It is The Creeping Terror from what, 1964? Yeah, Chris and Dominique. Hello. Hi there. How are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) Really impressed with this game room, by the way. This is awesome. Thank you. I didn't do any of it. Let's make sure we give Dominique's address at the end of this. (laughs) Of course, that's the greatest thing to say. Hey, look at this game room, everyone, on a podcast. Good podcast. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we've been hanging out for several hours today. We actually recorded something at the local, uh, at a local cemetery. And um, <laughs> we were recording a reading that you will eventually see because we were videotaping it or videoing it. You're not going to see what we recorded today because uh, apparently whatever Dominique was reading summoned forth a, what did you call it again? It was a second line parade. So there was a tuba player in the cemetery in the background while I was trying to read. Clarinet, drums. I mean, it, I, it, yeah, it, it was, was it was a four piece band. Yeah. My favorite part, and I told you guys there this, and, and I'm going to say it again here for the listeners. You got to a particular section in your story where, was it a vampire that grabbed the sickle? Yeah. And the tuba just like, bomb, bomb. It's it's awesome. <laughs> and I think that was the first time you were aware there was a tuba that in the graveyard. That was the first time I heard the tuba. I didn't see yeah. it before that. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> I saw them coming, and I'm just like, oh, I hope you get tons quick, because <laughs> it's going to get loud. So we've been spending some time together today, and uh, so we came and we came back to Dominique's place to do this recording. We actually, at one point, talked about doing it in the cemetery, but it's all Saints Day. They were doing the funeral stuff. There's a tuba player that did not want us recording, apparently. Um, so yeah, we we're back here with... I'm doing it again. I can't look away from a... <laughs> From that face. It's Vic Savage, man. <laughs> he's, he's dreamy. Or nightmarish. There's right, something about... Yeah. See, look at that. That wouldn't... No. Well, like, yeah. No. Once no, again, I'm doing it. Once look. again, great podcasting. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> well, we all do know this was kind of a wish fulfillment for um, Mr. Savage. Uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say for you and Dominique. <laughs> no. No, no, because you guys wanted to record about this oh, for so okay. long. Yeah, we we, we even yeah. tried saying it up that one time. I think we've tried a couple of times to set this well, up and it just never, never worked out. Yeah. Darn. We were at the library and <laughs> so they, they had those rooms that you could yep. use. and It was really tiny. We'd probably be sitting on each other's laps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like you guys and all, but. But there's a, <laughs> yeah, we draw a line. You know. So, yeah, this one's been kind of hovering, um, <laughs> kind of creeping around in the background. Uh, 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 I see what you did there. Uh, uh, very good. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, The Creeping Terror, 1964. Strangely, not one that I've shown on the stream yet, although I would be within my rights to do so, as it is in the public domain. And there is an amazing transfer of it out there now that makes the monster look a lot less dumb. Or more dumb, depending how you look on yeah. it. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm more impressed. You know, I... I have the Blu-ray set that we have on in the background right now. I've not watched it on blue. I only watched the uh, the documentary, mm-hmm. uh, the creep behind the camera that came out a few years ago. And it's okay. It's more like a docudrama. They dramatize yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the guy they have playing Vic Savage in that's a lot more attractive. And and I will say this about that actor. He was great in he that movie. He was really good. I feel bad for him now, though, because he's got to be typecast. He's going to be. People are going to see that role and just go, yeah, you're the evil scum. Yeah. Allegedly, Vic Savage was a not a good person. Uh, the creep behind the camera does portray him to be um, not a nice man. Likes to take off his pants in front of a mirror with a Hitler mustache. Sets up what could very well be something very inappropriate involving minors and cameras. Yeah, it makes it hard watching this film again. Yeah. It, it, it really does. I mean, I saw this movie before I saw um, the, the docudrama. And, you know, I thought, yeah, just like, oh, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I watched the docudrama and it's like, oh, yeah, this guy was... Every time I watch this film now, it's always in the back of my mind that this person was not a nice person. Yeah. Not a nice man. He had a dream. And he was willing to use up whoever he could to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have plenty of dreams, things that I want to do and all that, but I ain't going to use up my friends to do it, and I'm not going to manipulate people to do it. Um, Vic apparently didn't have that filter or switch. No. That's not his real name, right? I mean, Vic Savage is, is obviously a stage name, right? Yeah. Arthur something white, I think. Yeah. Vic Savage does sound like an exploitation filmmaker, which is, I really feel like maybe he'd be more comfortable making those kinds of movies. Yeah. Oh, is there a monster in the bush? Yeah. yeah. Monster's coming. <laughs> the best podcasting ever. <laughs> <laughs> so you were pretty familiar with the movie because you, you'd seen it before you saw the docudrama. And yes. I'm assuming you had too. Yeah. And I think I had, maybe. I don't remember what I saw first, to be honest. I may have blocked it out. Because, like you were saying, all the transfers that are out there, you said this before I hit record, they look awful. Yeah. They look not very well taken care of. Look at the little feet. I know little feet. And she, oh, now she sees it. Oh, boy. <laughs> I do like the design of that monster. So how would you describe the monster? How, how, if you were describing it to somebody on a podcast, for example. Um, okay, Mr. Lovecraft, describe the un- undescribable. Yeah, no kidding. Think about basically a, a slug with a very tall head that's super large and waddles around and um, doesn't move very fast and still catches people and looks like it's made out of blankets and carpets and anything they could find <laughs> in the house. You want to go for it? Okay. Okay. Stay with me here. You and your buddies are 12 years old. And there's a costume contest at school. And you really want to win. So y'all run to your grandma's house and you start stealing stuff from the attic. And you get some blankets and a roll of carpet and some pillows and some tubes. And you take like half your friends and make them stand at the back and put one of the blankets over them. And then you take two of your other friends and you wrap the carpet around them. And you stick the tubes in the top and let them go all over the place. That's the creeping terror. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, between the two of them, I think they pointed, <laughs> painted a pretty good picture. Uh, I, I'd refer you to the cover art or whatever, but there, there's a poster that's floating around online of this movie, but it's probably not real. A lot of people, a lot of sources say it's just like some fan art that was done up. I don't know if there was ever really a movie poster for this or any real publicity. And really, when you look at it, I, I'm not when you know what happened with the movie and what Vic Savage and all that, I'm not really surprised. I've seen so much worse. I, mean, I really have. And, and I know that this has come up like at the Lovecraft Film Festival a couple years ago. We were doing that Lovecraftian classic monster movies and this came up and I made a huge stink like, oh God, here we go again. Well, I think, wasn't that you who brought 
One of y'all brought it up. I think you did. You were it talking about... Been, it was either me or Ray. It might have been Ray. I think you were talking about the Lovecraftian, the um, cosmic horror ending of the movie. Yeah, yes. Because the end of this movie has more questions than answers, and that's the Lovecraftian thing. Yeah, I remember it coming up, and I remember me kind of... Yeah, playing it up a little bit for the crowds, like oh god, here we, you know, and, and I do that sometimes, you know, because it's funny. Um, <laughs> at least I, I think it's funny. I find myself funny, but whatever. That's all that matters, dear. Yes, you, yes, you're funny. <laughs> yes, you're funny. <laughs> wow. So all of that said, I have seen worse. Uh, I've seen worse monsters. I'm trying to think of any off the top of my head. I can't. But I'm sure I've seen worst monsters in low-budget monster movies, and I've certainly seen worst low-budget monster worst worst low-budget monster movies uh, than this. As we're watching it, maybe it's because we have the sound off. Um, but as we're watching it, the shots aren't bad. It seems well composed. The editing, the pacing isn't awful. There are some spots where the woman probably should have seen the alien coming, but it doesn't look inept like some of the other movies that I claim to like do like Manos Manos looks like it was made by an inept person somebody who had never held a camera in his life yeah I still love it Mm -hmm. but it it really is ineptly made this doesn't have that same feeling to me yeah I can see that and you do know the connection between this and Manos right but Mystery Science Theater no 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 Siliphant the one who made the bet with um Warren. Oh, was that him? No. It was his brother. His brother was the, uh, is credited for writing the basic treatment right. for this movie, the creeping horror, you know, creeping terror. Yeah. So, yeah, there's kind of a connection. The Silophants are involved with two of the considered, were considered the worst movies ever made. Yeah, I know that the younger, was it a younger brother? Yes. The younger Silophant was the one that was involved in writing, and I just did air quotes, Best podcast ever. Uh, <laughs> writing this movie, I hadn't remembered it was another the the better elephant, the one who I was talking <laughs> with Warren and really had a career as a writer. Like, mm-hmm. like he was doing Route sixty six at the time and a yeah. few other TV shows and stuff like that. When he, when Warren made the bet with him, okay, that okay. resulted in Manos. Mm-hmm. So are we saying that it's Silifant's fault that this and Manos exist in the world? I just find it really interesting that those. Two people are connected with this movie and Monos. Let's be fair. I think Vic Savage would have found a way to make this even without that. That's kind of... Yeah. <laughs> well, and from what I understand, the uh, screenwriter bailed on this project because he was envisioning a broader, more comedic take on the, okay. on the film. And Savage wanted to make an actual monster movie and i had done some reading before and i remember this from when we first talked about doing this is that he another reason he took his name off he's like yeah this is gonna ruin my family's rep my brother's got a career and i'm not gonna break it down so um wow yeah and the reason i did the air quotes is yeah he wrote like a nine-page treatment and that was about it i don't know who else wrote the rest of this if anybody wrote it or vic savages and i've certainly back in the day when i thought i was gonna be a filmmaker when i grew up i certainly did this Okay, here's what's happening. Say something like that. Go, action. And mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if that's something old Vic Savage did. That well, sounds like it fits. And, and you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of filler stuff in this film. Well, there's a lot of narration, too, right? There's a lot of narrator kind of filling in the... Yeah, yeah that's because they either lost the soundtrack or didn't record it properly or something. I, one of the guys, the, the guy who plays the 
scientists said they didn't record anything, any sound because they didn't have the money. And then they were going to come back later and do dubbing like in a, the old Italian films. Honestly, this, this movie is a lot of filler. I mean, there's a lot of padding in this film. Well, and how long is it? It's uh, 74 minutes. It certainly feels longer sometimes, I have to say. <laughs> but I love this movie for the same reason I love Manos. There is potential in this story, and there was potential with the monster. Um, the filmmaker Jim Warnowski, he's always said that, you know, if you're going to remake a, a movie, remake a bad one that has potential. And he mentions The Creeping Terror as one of those movies that should be remade and could be made better. And I think I think it can. And I have a few suggestions concerning the monster, okay. if I may, for a moment. Go for sure, it. go for it, man. First off, if you're going to do this movie and keep the monster like that, you have to pull a Spielberg. When Steven Spielberg was doing Jaws, he was going to show the shark much more prominently, but he wasn't able to because the shark kept breaking down. Everybody knows that story. So he had to find ways to make the shark's presence known while keeping it off screen. So like the barrels, you knew the shark was around because the barrels were out there. So what you do, and this solves another problem with the design of the creature, is you let, you have tentacles coming of it out of its mouth. So you don't have to have the creature on screen, you just have the tentacles, which are probably a little easier to fake. And you have a way to drag people in instead of having them dive head first into your monster and make it look very obvious that they're just crawling into it. Mm -hmm. um, which is really funny to watch in these in this movie sometimes. And I would have said, you know, I mean, if he could have found someone who did some stop motion animation, he could have given a model of this thing to somebody, maybe put some spider legs on it, make it even creepier. And that would allow it to move faster instead of having a bunch of guys hauling around a bunch of lichens and carpets. So if I was going to remake this and still try to keep it as cheesy looking as possible, that's how I would do it. Mm -hmm. Keep the monster off screen until, well, maybe the picnic. Or I'm sorry, it's not a picnic. It's a nanny, And then you show the monster. You know, you keep it hidden. Or maybe wait for the big dance nanny or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. When you said pulling a Spielberg, I thought you were going to say do it at night and do it in the rain. Because that's what he did in Jurassic Park. Yes. To try to hide and, and make the CGI look less CGI. You do it at night and you do it in the rain. Yeah. You scare it as much as you can. I don't know if this would work at night. Um, especially with the picnic stuff or the hootenanny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But. And see, you wouldn't have to have people standing there, wait, sitting there waiting for the monster to eat them like they're doing right now on the screen. I mean, I know you're scared, but. Well, they just failed their sanity check. It's the thing. They're frozen or something. Yeah. Oh, there's the guy with the guitar. He's going to attack with the guitar. I, You know, this era of filmmaking, though, they weren't really good about hiding the monster, especially the lower budget stuff. Yeah. They really did want to put their dollars on screen. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is that? <laughs> well, that's why I said it's a great design. It's just poorly executed. Now, that may be because whoever built the original creature took it back after he wasn't paid um, and they just threw together something although this looks a little this looks like it took a little time to make yeah that's not easy to make just the back yeah that's tufting and stuff that's not easy to make that's 
Yeah, it's not just a blanket. That's not just a carpet. Yeah, there's, there's texture on it and there's paint. There. And it's, a, it's especially um, noticeable in the Blu-ray. I mean, geez, that yeah, was clear. Yeah. If you're talking about redoing the monster itself, the overall story is pretty simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alien crash land. It's a small town. Small town's cops trying to figure out what's going on. Confrontation as people get eaten up. Well, and, and you've also got the scientist versus the military angle in this. When mm-hmm. the scientist wants to keep the creature alive and the military's like... No, we're not. Um, so you do have that too. Yeah. Your classic monster elements. There's just not, I don't think there was enough of a story. It was the same thing with Monos. I don't think there was enough of a story to fill the running time. Mm-hmm. I mean, little feet. <laughs> at least they put something on the, the creature actor's yeah. feet yeah. to make it look like creature feet. It's not a pair of sneakers yeah, sticking out. Good point. That shows some care. You know, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to agree with you on that. I, Like I said, I know I, there's the gold pants. Yeah! I, I know that I've given this movie a, a lot of garbage over the years. Like I said, I've seen a lot worse. I really have. You, you mentioned the scientist versus the monster element. The scientist, Dr. Bradford, is that who you're talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Played by William Thurlby, who we were having fun looking into right before we started recording. He was the Marlboro Man in the 50s. He was in a handful of movies, and he eventually even wrote some books, including a self-help novel or, or self-help manual. Let me get the title of it again. Where is it? See, I mean, this is just way too long and way too dull of a shot. I mean, it's a well-done shot. It's a tracking shot through the dance. They go off the dance floor. They pan across a bunch of tables where people are sitting. But... It's obviously just there to pad out the running time. And now they're back on the dance floor. Oh my God, so much white people dancing. (laughs) So much white people dancing. What is this guy doing? Right? I mean, that's What is that? Yeah, of course the older women are sitting around drinking and laughing at all these young... Yeah, anyway. uh, The book is Women, The New Power Class, which is about how to use visual and non-visual and verbal communication to get ahead in marketing or whatever. I would have never assumed that out of this guy i wouldn't have pictured him writing that book either yeah no that doesn't does she just look bored as hell she looks so bored (laughs) i mean he did a lot he uh was a model you know i mean he had a good look did a lot of cowboy modeling pulp magazine covers things like that yeah he does have that look uh towards the end of his life he lived alone uh in the new york athletic club it's one of the few permanent residents of that uh, at the time, and he died alone because he didn't like people, I guess. I don't know. No, that's too bad. That's kind of sad. The way this reads, it sounds like it was his choice to do that. I don't know if that's true, but it reads like it was his choice to be alone and away from everybody. <laughs> and if that's the case, then good on you, man. You did it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's the scientist. And I almost would rather follow the scientist than old Vic Savage. I, I would rather have followed the military and the scientists um, because that's a more interesting story than... Because, you know, I mean, Vic Savage plays what? Uh, deputy and his father's the head sheriff. His uncle. His uncle, okay. And his uncle and his best friend are eaten by one of the monsters that's in the spaceship and still penned up, so I don't know how they got eaten. But the tentacles would have taken care of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But so now he's the sheriff and he's balancing, trying to get things done and, you know, 
working with the military and his new, you know, and, and making out with his wife during the crisis. There is a scene where they're where they're talking about him and his partner taking a break, and he's in the patrol car with his wife. <laughs> Dude, he invites his best friend of many years to his house. Where he sits next to him and makes out with his wife in front of him while he has nothing to do. That alone tells me you are like a despicable human being. <laughs> Come on, dude. It's like the rudest thing ever. They could have kept him. Uh, they could have kept the sheriff's department as a, as a secondary group of characters and focus more on the military coming in and the scientists. Yeah. And made it more interesting, especially given the ending. I swear I just saw one of those dancers do a move that looked like he was flossing. I know he wasn't, <laughs> but it really looked like he was flossing. Wait a minute. Are there hands? Are there little flopping things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I don't think I ever noticed that in the other transfer I watched. Well, they don't stand out very well. No, they don't. They, don't, they also don't move them a lot. But. You said something about his face before we started recording. Oh, yeah. So Vic Savage, he's got, if you look closely at his face, which I actually don't recommend... <laughs> if you look closely at his face his face doesn't move symmetrically it's like part of his face moves a little slower or a little less than the other side so i'm wondering if there's a little bit of palsy that, yeah that you know that's kind of what it looks like and if that's the case then i feel really bad about laughing at him for it because you can't control that what was it <laughs> What was that dance move? Great, great podcasting. We're laughing at the dancing. He's swinging his arms like he's trying to fly. He's having fun. Oh, he is. (laughs) I know I keep saying I've seen worse. Santo versus the Blob. It's pretty rough when it comes to the monsters because it really is a tarp, some people underneath it walking around and one of them's like using their hands to make the tarp move on top to make it look like it's undulating or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's awful. I mean, it's still a fun (laughs) movie and I give that movie a lot of credit, but yeah, you know, I mean, this, this could be worse. You know what? I'll say it. Kaltiki. I would say that that's a worse monster because it's just like a normal thing. A normal thing. Yeah. I can go to the store and buy that. Oh, okay. And make that. <laughs> you mean, yeah. so, okay. Not like in context of the movie. It's a normal. Yeah. No, I see. Okay. I see what you're saying. It's. It, yeah. I mean, you could, yeah, you go to the butcher's, get exactly. crate or. And as stupid looking and crazy and borderline dangerous as this is, <laughs> it's not as bad as the fact that Mario Bava had to say to somebody, hey, crawl into that tripe and move around. That was I a tripe, yeah. On. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, this this the monster does show some really interesting design work. I mean, it's uh, it's yeah. unusual, it's unique. It's getting much more of a reaction from the dancers than it should cuz it's slow as hell. Well, they don't know that yet. Well, I'm just disappointed that we're not focusing on the backside of the girl in the shiny pants anymore. When she was like shaking it hardcore, yeah. yeah. Which is a thing that really happened. I mean, I'm not trying no. to play like I'm a dude, so you know, no, Vic Savage did that on purpose. She was prominently featured in the dance sequence. <laughs> yes, she was. And see, yeah, there was a guy. There's a scene where a guy gets punched while the monster's like going to eat the people, and it was actually shot and edited rather well. I yeah. mean. That was some advanced filmmaking technique, I felt like. Well, and it's it's like I said, the the shots of people dancing, you know, I mean the camera is is moving 
through the dance floor. Yeah, there's that one shot beforehand that, that yeah. I was going to say something yeah. about. Yeah. The problem is they do they do that like three or four times because they've got nothing else to film and we need to make this movie run feature length. So here's my thing about this movie because I was sitting and I was rewatching this last night. And the pacing reminds me of a French art house movie. Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. Because um, basically, what we have in this movie is this. Because like the monster comes down, and then the cops are like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta stop the monster and everything." Okay, and then we have the monster moving through a series of very typical domestic normal people scenes, and they're all because it was the the laundry scene with the unfortunate rectal thermometer on the baby that made me think of this. Yeah, that really needed to be in the movie, but. But the thing is, because it's like this super, like, long, drawn-out domestic shot, and it's almost like she's ruminating on her life, and she doesn't like her life. And then the baby, we're not going to touch the baby and give the baby any affection. We're just going to let it sit and let it cry. And I've given up on life. And then the monster comes, and I'm free. And I'm like, because I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is like an art house movie. And then it was just like, boom. And that would explain... Because the monster is always slow, but nobody ever runs. And they sit and they contemplate their life and the inevitability of death and fate. <laughs> and the monster comes and they give themselves up to it. And I'm like, everybody here should be like smoking and speaking with an accent. Not <laughs> <laughs> creeping terror. Welcome to Reading Way Too Much in a Movie with Dominique Lamsey's. No, yeah, that's what I do. I'm down with that. The monster, she comes. I wait for the monster. (laughs) Wow. So there is no official trailer for this, but now I really want to cut one together and have Dominique (laughs) doing this voiceover. The monster, it comes. But it's one of those things like where in, in Monos they kind of accidentally made it like terrifying. In this one they kind of accidentally made it this like weird over meditation on life. And I'm not saying that's what they intended. They did not. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. You have no idea how sternly she just looked at the microphone when she said yeah. that. <laughs> they did I think, Yeah, I think the microphone got scared of that look. <laughs> okay, okay, I believe you. <laughs> But I mean, like, if, if you told me this movie was like Czechoslovakian New Wave, I'd be like, yeah, all right. I could see that actually. I'm I'm on so I'm on board with your Spielberg stuff. I'm on board with the French New Wave, the French art house film stuff. I don't have any deep, clever um, observations here to make to to tap to top either one of those. Because see, yeah, now we've got the long shot of the devastation in the dance hall. And then people making out because, you know, French people. (laughs) I apologize to any listeners in France. What? Yes, and of course, this is Vic Savage and his wife making out in the patrol car during a Uh, break. That's not his wife. No, that. Oh, in the movie, you mean? In the movie. In the movie. Okay. In the movie. Yeah. Oh, and now the infamous Lover's Lane scene. Gotta have that, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's a 60s horror f- uh, monster film. Gotta have that. So I brought it up earlier. I want to circle back to it. Why did it come up on the Lovecraft panel now exactly? The ending. The ending I brought is, it up because of the ending. The ending. And let's talk a little bit more about that because you've also mentioned the Lovecraft stuff on top. And, and I want to be convinced. Okay. So, spoiler alert. 
So it turns out that, she, <laughs> that these monsters are, it, they say in the movie, they're mobile test laboratories. And they've been eating people to test them chemically. And then they take that information and they send it somewhere in space. Yeah. What? Um, we don't know where these things are from. We don't know why they're doing it. We don't know who they're doing it for. It just goes somewhere. And the fact that we do not have the answers to those questions... I feel is Lovecraftian. They find out that this is happening because they kill one of the creatures. There's two of them. One's still stuck in the ship. The other one's running around and about to do something very nasty to a car. Which is in no way, shape, or form suggestive. No, not at all. You know, but they kill the one and then they dig out this radio transmitter and the scientist takes off without without telling anyone. Without telling anybody, yeah. And our man Savage goes and follows him and that's when they find out that, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> that poor car, I feel... <sighs> <sighs> but yeah, the goes back and that's when he finds out what the scientist knows um, and tries to stop. And the great thing is he tries to stop the transmission and fails. They both try. Yes. Because the doctor tried to blow it up. And blew himself up real good. And actually some convincing makeup. The makeup on that part wasn't bad. Oh, yeah. And then the deputy's trying to stop it and he doesn't. And, you know, we're left with the idea that, hey, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe they'll get the message. Maybe these things have been in space and took so long to get here that the planet they're coming from, the civilization is already dead. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're just sitting right out there and mm-hmm. they have the information and they're just planning what to do with it. Yeah. Very cosmic horror. I mean, yeah. We don't We don't know. I mean, I, I buy that totally. I mean, it's something from somewhere or someplace that, that we just... Can't comprehend it. Looks nothing. It's not humanoid at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you really look at it and you can tell where the people are standing underneath it in the costume. But you know, as a monster design, it's not humanoid at all. Which to me is something that I've always appreciated anyway about monster movies. If you can get a monster that looks, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just destroy or distort the human form and it looks more alien at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, and I do appreciate that about this. And it's eating people, but not for the purposes of sustenance. Yeah, sustenance. You're right. The, the idea of consuming somebody to learn everything you need to know about them to transmit that somewhere. I mean, that's fascinating to me. It's obvious they got this from some demolition derby somewhere. Demolition derby or junkyard. I mean, it's all got spray paint all over it. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I mean, I totally buy it. And I think... This scene had to suck for the people in that suit. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's a terrible scene for the people in that suit. This is when the monster is flipping over the car in Lover's Lane. That's a lot of blood. Yeah, that's That's nice. Well, chocolate syrup or whatever, but yeah. Still. Look how gory they are. That's nice. <laughs> I mean, it's a little more blood than what would have actually happened, but it's nasty. Yeah. Just like you said, too, the burns uh, that the scientist gets when he blows himself up, yeah. those are pretty impressive as well. Yeah. And they really just covered them in blood, didn't they? They weren't holding back. So, you know, I mean, having an ending like that in a movie like this is actually kind of a surprise yeah it's a little more thoughtful than you'd expect definitely just like monos yep (laughs) and i'm only bringing it up now because it makes dominique uncomfortable and i think it's funny Uh, because we're friends because i'm a terrible person (laughs) um well in all seriousness so monos has that kind of downer and not just 
it's a downer ending, but this one's a lot more open-ended. Well, it, in a sense, it's like the, the ending of this one is actually a little more freaky because yeah. we have no clue about anything. This is just like a thing that happened and then it's over. Manos is like, no, we got the beginning, the middle, and the end. And it's a downer and it is scary, but it's not. It's it's controlled scary. Like, I know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. And I know the cycle's going to continue and it's just going to happen again. This one, This one is like some scammer managed to get your credit card number and you're just waiting to see what they do with it. You don't know. Maybe maybe they didn't, they're not going to do anything. Maybe you're not going to have any money in five minutes. You don't know. And it's that uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. That makes it a little freakier. Definitely. The uncertainty of the ending and not knowing what's actually coming, it does make it really mm-hmm. an impressive ending for such a low-budget, cheap film. Yeah. yeah. Especially the kind of movie he's trying to ape here. You know, he wanted to make a monster movie and you look at the monster movies of the era and they do have a definitive ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All is well with the world. Everything's fine. We can move on with our lives and go back to our whatever. You may get a tease of a, you know, there's a there's an egg from the monster hidden back in the cave or, you know, the end with the question mark coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, they definitely end. Whereas this one, you're right, is very... Um, this one's got chapter two written all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you have done with the sequel if there was a chapter two? Either one of you. I don't know what I would do, but I mean, you know, it, yeah, they probably would just do the same thing. You know, oh, yeah, well, we got to... Okay. You know what I would like to see? Mm-hmm. I'd like to see, since there's two monsters, I mean, they've been damaged, but not destroyed. Mm-hmm. I would like to see our scientists make up monsters like that and send it to the planet we figure out where the monster came from and we send Mm -hmm. our version over to its planet Mm -hmm. that could be interesting to do the same thing or (laughs) okay no i'm I'm playing off of his because actually what i would do is vastly different but playing off of yours we do it did because in the late 60s they were moon crazy because we were going to the moon and Mm -hmm. stuff so you go to the moon and you find something and it stows away and they accidentally bring it back and then you have another scientist who brings back this monster and then you have the creeping terrified the moon monster there's another way to go and then we can like take them both and like dump them on the moon at the end (laughs) <laughs> like in Gamera, we were just like, go away. Yeah. <laughs> Until the sequel. Yeah, exactly. Now, you said you also had another way of doing I would lean hardcore into the Lovecraft part, because this shows where Chris and I have different sensibilities, because he, he he goes heavily into the monsters and the action stuff. I'm, ta- I'm thinking, like, again, the leaning into the super Lovecraftian, so we have, like, some nutball finds a piece of this and decides that it's a god and starts, like, worshipping it. And, like, getting followers and making trouble and trying to resurrect the monster and whether or not he can actually do it. I mean, we yeah. don't know. Because then That's... we can bring back the monster or you cannot bring back the monster. Or you could bring back the monster, like, in hallucinations or stuff like that. That's another way to go. And, you know, how I was talking about tentacles, you know, coming out of the creature's mouth? Mm-hmm. That takes care of this scene that was just up there where... The army soldiers are knocked over by this thing. I mean, it's like they're bowling pins for the slowest bowling ball ever. But if they had tentacles coming out of its mouth, it could be whipping, knocking people in the air, stabbing through them. Well, okay, if, if it has tentacles, that solves the problem of the car. Because mm-hmm. then it doesn't have to flip over the car. It can just be like, and grab. Yeah, So I it know. makes it easier to eat. Just like how? 
<laughs> if we remake this and we put tentacles, I want that sound effect for the tentacles. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, here comes the grenade. Yeah, the grenade. He looks so serious. Oh, boy. <laughs> Best podcasting ever. Listening right? to us watch the movie. <laughs> I'll edit this all down. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah. So, when it comes to people making movies, these homage movies, right? I like what Chris Mim does, where there is a sense of humor to it, but they never really kind of talk down to you or make fun of the movie, as opposed to, um, like, Larry Blameyer, you know, La Skeleton the Cadaver, where it's all send-up. And, and not that one's worse than the other, just I have my preferences. I feel like this is the kind of movie that would inspire the send-up. Mm-hmm. Because so, so much of it, I'm the scientist, and I'm doing this for science, and I'm going to go to figure out... It just It feels very like you could really play up the... The humor and the ridiculousness of it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Comedy and horror kind of work together anyway, so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, whoop, hang on, that's me. Sorry about that. <laughs> Jam it out to Chris's cell phone there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I could, I could see this going into the spoof area, uh, remaking, but I'd rather see, a, you know, acknowledging how corny it is, but trying to play it serious remake yeah you know like like yeah we know this is silly but we're playing it straight and we're not making fun of it yeah we're having fun with it yeah exactly i think this movie's got a lot of potential i think Mm -hmm. uh if somebody other than vic savage uh made the film there could be something here oh yeah yeah the documentary does kind of shed some light on some Vic Savage stuff and a lot of the things that happened around the production of this. And uh, we were talking a little bit about the monster design. The original monster design supposedly was created by the special effects guy. When he wasn't paid, he took the monster and, and he took his ball on a home. Mm-hmm. So they had to recreate the monster. Vic Savage and company did their own thing. Well, in if I remember right, in the docu- docudrama, documentary, whatever, they imply that Vic Savage and the crew went to the special effects person's house and it. actually stole it back. Looking at it on this Blu-ray, it's a much better looking monster mm-hmm. than a lot of the really bad transfers let on. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the detail, like you were saying, the detail in the back on on that thing looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a really well made monster, but it's it's a it's a good design and it's pretty well executed for the amount of money they had. No, it's no Paul Blaisdell monster or anything like that. But, you know, for what it is, especially for something that's supposed to look like it comes from literally another world not just some other planet out there but another world that thinks and does technology in a completely different way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely holds up there for me and the inside of the ship doesn't look awful either i mean i've i've seen worse yeah mm-hmm. i mean i love it and all but plan nine from outer space is spaceship set it's got a great aesthetic but it looks pretty bare bones compared to what we just saw it's a bunch of tables with stuff set on it yeah this one, it looks like they actually went out and found some radio equipment yeah. and arranged it. And now we have the second monster on the loose. Yeah, I mean, look at the back. And work. that's a different monster. Yeah. The back on that is not the same. So I wonder if... Maybe they filmed some of it. 
with the original with the original and then it and got taken away yeah it's it's hard to say you know i mean i've heard both that either he stole it back or they just threw something together real fast wasn't there a part where like it got damaged or something and they had to fix it real fast I think you might be right. I don't. I. I have. Which would seen explain the the other one, the fabric on the back, because they yeah. just went. Mm, mm, and covered yeah. It. This looks straight up like one of the victims in the second Quatermass film. Yeah. You see, the Excelsior on the bottom is different too. Oh yeah, you're right. And it looks rattier. So yeah, maybe it, they damaged it and they. Maybe it was just. Well, I mean, let's be honest. They're not exactly going over um, very smooth surfaces with that thing. It could have gotten matted up and dirty and stuff. But yeah, and Derek, you are right that. Makeup comes close to, you know, does look a lot like Quartermass 2. Or Quatermass, I'm sorry. Nah, enemy from space. <laughs> it's the American title. I, I don't know if I can get over the pulling yourself into the monster's mouth. though. That, that's, that's to me, is the hardest sell of all this. Yeah. The, the way you have to kind of, as a victim, place yourself in its maw. Well, okay, going back to the French art house thing. You must give yourself up to death. Yeah, but that's also, because there's that the mystery science theater joke that it's a weird fetish for the director, and I actually think that's true. And and I wouldn't be surprised the way he was filming how some of the female victims were pulled in. It's like yeah. you're someone's enjoying this way more than they should. Yeah. But like I said, that have tentacles coming out of its mouth, grab people, and zip them in. And imagine how terrifying that would be if they're pushing on the outside, just you know they're. With yeah. their arms going, no, no, and then vroom, right yeah. in, the rest in. I like Dominique's sound effect better. No, no <laughs> doubt there. I mean, look at his arm. I mean, that's yeah. that's yeah. good. That's a good burn. Yeah, and here we get another infamous, you know, once again, padding. He's trying to break the radios, and this scene goes on for is that ever. Like a, is that like a submarine inside? Uh, it looks kind of like... I, it looks like they it's got like a ship or something. Yeah, it looks like they got some surplus military stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not a good look for him. I'm sorry, but there's a point. No matter how desperate you are, you're going to do like three, maybe four times, and then you're going to realize it's not working. You're not going to keep doing it. Well, like I said, it just goes on way too long. I mean, I've heard of slow internet, but. This is really slow. I mean, this is this is dial-up slow. And of course, what does he do? He grabs a stick. Because spaceships have supporting beams. I guess. It, I mean, doesn't it? I know it's supposed to be a pole or or something, but doesn't it look like a stick? And this looks like a stick. Looks like a piece of wood. And okay, more. And then we're gonna hit it again. Beat on the stuff that yeah. isn't breaking. He's got a gun. This is for the safety of the human race. I'd I'd risk the ricochet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd try. Yeah, he just looks ten times older than he's trying to act. Yeah. Old Vic Savage here. And whatever this setup is, wherever he's at, he's leaving dents in this machinery. Now, I do question how the monsters use this machinery, this equipment. Giving them, there's a bunch of little switches and knobs, and they didn't look like they had very dexterous fingers. <laughs> True. And the ladder? What's the ladder for? I didn't see, oh, you're right. There's a ladder. Is it a ladder or just more support work? No, I think it was a ladder because I thought I saw. Hmm. Huh. Well, yeah, but you see, they've got all the mon- they've got the monster there. They've got all this machinery. We can build one of our own now. I mean, but, granted, we could figure it out. Yes. We'd have to figure it out. Just imagine how, how interesting it would be to have this alien race suddenly get 
their monster turned on them. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I should go home and start working on that. Like I've got. Oh, you need another project, like I've right? Got, yeah, like I've got yeah, enough. I'm trying to get going. Oh, boy. Did they put extra hair on his chest? No, I think that's... Oh. I don't know. That That's not natural. <laughs> Maybe it is. I can't, I can't tell you. I mean, I just noticed that. It's like the Blu-ray is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's really clear. Clean Blu-ray. I appreciate that they got blood on the women. You don't don't see that very often. It oh yeah, true. but there's some some blood transfer here and earlier the lovers lane couple, she got really messed up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple long random shots of the sky again. French art house. <laughs> the end, or is it? No question mark. But there should have been. But there should have been. Well, that was the best podcasting ever. Um, <laughs> what else? Do we want? So we've been recording for about 50 minutes or so. What else do we want to say about the movie before we wrap up? I don't think there's anything left to say about the movie. I mean, there's no, it, it's, it's, it's not the it's greatest rough. movie ever. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there is potential. Like I said, in my view of this movie, there was potential for it to be much better. It's just... The execution just wasn't there. It just, you know, they didn't have a, a, a full enough script. They made the mistake of showing the monster way too soon. Um, you know, but I think th with all the, you know, with the cosmic horror element ending, it's, there's potential to do a good remake. Not a spoofy one. Maybe one that is a little campy, you know, and accepts it, but I think there's potential there for a really good remake of this. Mm hmm I feel like I was going to say something and I blanked on it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Yeah, it's your fault. You, you. I talked too me, long. You, you <laughs> made me remember, forget everything. I don't know, because for me, this is kind of like the Ed Wood thing. I mean, sure, this movie sucks, but he actually made it. What was the last movie you made? <laughs> you sit and you talk smack about it, but it's like, okay, mm. yeah, he yeah. actually pulled it off. I mean, he did it in some unsavory ways because he was not a good guy, uh, allegedly. Um, but he he had a dream and he did it. And for me, that counts for a lot. That does. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to complain about the movie too much. And it's it's fun. Mm -hmm. I mean... I don't know. I, I like it for what it is. I do like the Mystery Science Theater of this one. This is one of my favorite Mystery Science Theater episodes. Is that a Joel or... Um, it's a Mike. Mike. It, this is one of those movies that I think, uh, no offense to anyone who might be listening out there, this separates the ironic watchers from the people who really appreciate it. Because the people who really appreciate these kinds of movies are going to sit and watch this movie. And they may not see exactly what we see, but they're going to see something there. Whereas the ironic watchers would watch this without Mike and the bots and just be bored silly, but watch it with Mike and the bots and think it's the greatest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I've said this before, there's no one right way to enjoy a movie. If that's how you enjoy it, awesome. Um, I, I'd suggest try it the other way, though, because I think, yeah, like Dominique said, and, and this is part of my love for Manos and a lot of these low-budget movies or regional horror films that I've been showing on the stream lately is that there's a, a DIY-ness to it that I just respond to really well. And, okay, so here uh, on the Blu-ray menu, there's a silhouette of the monster head-on. 
And it makes me think of the Medusa from that Hercules versus Medusa movie. Oh, yeah. A little bit. And even the way it, it's got a bigger tail <laughs> than, than the Medusa in the Hercules movie, but even kind of moves the same way. Which, you know, that's an awesome monster to be compared to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a DIYness to it um, that I respond to really well. Like you said, when's the last time you made a movie? I, I did one in 2003. And it was nowhere near as good as this. I'll say it. <laughs> you know, um, the movie that I made got practically laughed out of the theater. And and uh, a good reason. Um, I'm not talking about the zombie movie. <laughs> that one I've never seen with a full house. I don't know how that would play. But uh, this holds together a lot better. You never really question who's who or what the motivations are. Um it, it, it may be filmmaking 101, kind of checking off the boxes, but it, it holds together pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the monster, I'll tell you, if, if there is an action figure of it or, or whatever, I, I'd want it. Oh, I would too. Um, yeah. Would you hug it? I think everybody knows the answer to that. Yeah, I think I've already told everybody that I want to hug their creeping terror like a million times. <laughs> She's a monster hugger. Well, and this would be the... Perfect monster to hug. I'm going to make it some at some point. It looks like it'd be good for hugging. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a tea cozy. I am legitimately thinking of making one as like a teapot cover. That would be wow. Because it's the perfect shape. Oh. It's the perfect shape. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. It's the perfect shape for that. I Yeah, you need to do that so <laughs> I can see it. It's too bad Vic Savage was just such a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know... We got one good movie out of good movie. <laughs> we got one enjoyable movie out. There of you go. Yeah. I'm never bored watching the movie. That's that's the thing. Yeah. I'm sorry I kept putting this off. I know I kind of made a big deal out of it, but I'm sorry I put it off for so long. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we finally did it. I am too. Yeah. So am I. You know I'm gonna go home and and watch it with sound on now, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, I watched it this morning. Yeah. Nope. Am I a true convert, a true believer in the creeping terror? No, not really. I mean, I understand the appeal that it has for Chris and Dominique. And really, watching this transfer, it looks halfway good. It actually makes the monster look like something that could be terrifying. It doesn't just look like a rug with stuff on it. It actually looks halfway decent. And I did find myself enjoying the movie. Now, I do want to address Kenny. When he sent me that segment and he told me what it was and I listened to it, I was shocked, shocked that the creeping terror made the pages of famous monsters of film land. Considering this film's pedigree, I I had no idea that it would even hit or ping for his radar. Kenny's response when I told him this was that uh, apparently if you were making a movie and you sent pictures to Forey, you got in famous monsters. Man, if there was a famous monsters of film land back when I was running around town with a video camera making monster movies on my own. Back in the 80s and 90s, I tell you, <laughs> that would have been cool. Also, Kenny added a little caveat to the message he sent me, letting me know the segment was ready to go, that uh, I might be upset about this segment because I probably enjoy the film. Well, let me tell you what, Monster Kid Radio is, um, you know, not to sound cliche or to make light of the phrase, but Monster Kid Radio is a safe place. Here's my take. Every movie is somebody's favorite. I believe that there's somebody out there that loves the creeping terror and it's one of their favorite movies. If not their absolute favorite, it's not mine. (laughs) 
Although with the new transfer, it does look a little bit better. And I, and I will be revisiting again for a couple of projects that I'm working on for next year. Kenny, you're knocking it out of the park. And Chris and Dominique, thank you so much for being on the show. We had been talking about doing the Creeping Terror for a long time. So I really appreciate your patience as we finally made it happen. Although I have overlooked that you kind of ambushed me about it a little bit. But, you know, whatever. We're friends. We're, I'll get over it. Thanks again, Kang. <laughs> Space is a picture that you'll long remember for its blending of science and fiction, for its eerie terror, and for its story of an invasion from another planet that's almost beyond imagining. I tell you, from its size and its appearance, this thing came from outer space. I even have reason to believe that there's some form of life in it. What do you want? What are you doing? Let me see you as you really are. successfully starting rocket motors to continue flight over and out. Next step, Mars, 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of a red planet, defying the elements, inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! Help me! Mission, Mission Mars. Mars. Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair 
to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing me, the uh, windows on the Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the Chris wing. Chris Pine! There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. Hey, let's talk about some Star Trek, specifically how Star Trek and Monster Kid Radio are kind of coming together. I don't know. That's a lousy opening. Anyway, here in Portland, Oregon, I'm incredibly lucky that there are several film festivals and conventions and events and all that that typically happen year-round that I, as a Monster Kid and a fan of monster movies and horror films and fantasy and sci-fi and all that, I get to go to. And it's amazing. This year, obviously, a lot of that stuff, almost all of it's been canceled. Some of these events have gone online. And one event that's going online is Oricon. This is Oricon's 42nd year. And its website, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, it's just oricon.org, specifically 42.oricon.org. It is Oregon's premier fan-run annual science fiction and fantasy convention held here in Portland. It's 100% volunteer-based, and it's run by the Oregon Science Fiction Conventions group, which is something that's local here. Now, I've never really been involved with it. I've never gone. I've always wanted to, but um, the bottom line is Oricon always happened at this point of the year, which is right up against Brenda's birthday. And the idea of leaving Brenda alone on her birthday weekend, some years it was actually on the weekend, to go run around at this convention that she didn't really want to go to, just felt off and wrong. So I never did it. Well, two things are happening this year. One, the divorce. And second, it's going online. Oricon is becoming Oricon. Um, I know it sounds the same, but it's O-R-E-C-O-N. And they're going completely online. And it's free. It's happening this weekend, November 13th through November 15th. Do we have a Friday the 13th? Wow, that just occurred to me. Wow. Anyway, uh, it's happening this weekend. And like I said, it's totally free. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the event page as well as their website. So if you're interested in going and checking out what they're doing, you'll be able to do that there. It is all going to be done through Zoom. I have been asked to be involved in a very minor way. 
listener of the show, Jeff Pelier, is there and he is organizing a Star Trek script live read. What they've done is they've taken one of the episodes of the original series. The episode is The Conscience of the King. And those who are going to be involved in this are going to be given the script to this episode. But nobody really knows who's going to play who. I'm going to be one of the performers, one of the readers. I could be playing Captain Kirk. I could be playing Uhura. I I don't know who I'm going to be playing, and I won't know until it actually happens. This is happening on Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. I'm excited. This is the first time I've been involved with Oricon in any way, which is something that I've always wanted to do, so I can't wait. Looks like there's going to be all sorts of things going on that weekend. So if you're not going to be in the Monster Kid movie club stream watching movies there, there's lots of stuff for you to do over here at Oricon. Looks like there's a bunch of readings happening all day Friday. Looks like there's a lot of stuff for like writing science fiction, uh, creating fantasy stuff. Looks like there's a filk room, which is kind of like folk music, but kind of geek oriented. That's going to be happening. And when I say room, it's all through Zoom. It just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to get a taste. So that's where I'm going to be this weekend when I'm not at the Monster Kid Movie Club. The other thing I wanted to mention about Star Trek, this kind of happened organically this past Tuesday in the Monster Kid Astronomy Club, which is just the Monster Kid Movie Club gone sci-fi, where we do a couple of movies on Tuesday. It doesn't run nearly as long as Saturday's event, but you know what? It's still fun, and sci-fi movies of that era... And, I mean, it's sci-fi movies, totally free, live chat, it's fun. And what happened this past Tuesday is just a random conversation about Star Trek happened. So, because I had so much fun doing that, I'm going to make that a regular thing. What this means is that you're going to get two movies, as before. After the second movie, instead of just shutting down the stream, I'm going to come on for anywhere from 30 to, say, 45 minutes. And we're just going to rap about Star Trek. I don't really have a schedule. I don't really have an agenda or anything like that. But what happened this past Tuesday was just a fun conversation about what we like about Star Trek. And we didn't just stick to the original series, even though that's really my favorite series. And then Deep Space Nine and the next year. Anyway, it was just fun. And I'd love to invite you to join me for that on Tuesday. And until we get bored of talking about Star Trek every Tuesday from now on, after the movies at the Astronomy Club. At the edge of the universe, 400 men and women are probing the immeasurable blackness of space. Their leaders are an Earthman with no fear and a stranger with no heart. Travel beyond our time and solar system into new galaxies, into worlds beyond your dreams. Star Trek, every week, in color on the NBC television network. October the 11th, 1973, Charles Hickson boarded an alien spaceship. By his own lie detector tested story, this is what he saw. George Adamski looked from his Mount Palomar home. This is what he saw. He was not alone. Later, I wrote in a flying saucer that actually exists today. Then a psychic explained why those who vanish in the Devil's Triangle are still alive. I searched, and I know that Sasquatch lives. See it all in The Strangest Secrets on Earth, rated G. Here in person tonight, White Horse Drive in Theater, The Trial of the Dead. 
18 living nightmares leap from the stage. All lights go out and the monsters are released from their coffins. They may grab you. Victims from the audience will be thrown from the stage a piece at a time. Human heads chopped off. Jungle worms and swamp rats run around your feet. Extra on stage, back from the grave. The spirit materialization of Bruce Lee, king of kung fu. It's real. On stage, not a movie. You may need help. Help! 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 Tonight, White Horse Drive-In Theater. This weekend is another meeting of the Monster Kid Movie Club over at monsterkidmovie.club. What happens in the club? Well, we sit around and we watch monster movies all day long. It's free. There's a live chat and there's a handful of us having a great time and you're invited to the party as well. Every week I try to put together a good collection of movies for us to watch and this time around on Saturday I'm going to be showing movies like The Amazing Mr. X from 1948, 1954's The Snow Creature, 1935's Condemned to Live, 1961's The Beast of Yucca Flats, and 1973's A Bell from Hell. I'm going to be doing this all day long on Saturday. This starts at 11 a.m. Pacific time. That's when I do the pre-show. And then around noon, the movies themselves kick in. Now, I don't have the schedule locked in just yet, but keep an eye out because I'll mention it on Facebook and Twitter when I do have the schedule ready to go. I might even put together a Facebook event page. If you've never come, I encourage you to come and join us because really the movies are fun. But the chats with everybody, they're even better. And I can't wait to see you guys and gals there. Also, there's usually a chance to win a prize of some sort. And you don't want to miss out on that. Once again, that's monsterkidmovie.club. That's what's coming up on Saturday. Next week on the show, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up on the podcast. Well, if all goes well, <laughs> I'm recording with fellow podcasters, Joe Stuber and Scott Morris on Monday the 16th about the movie Monsters Go Home. Then I'm going to scramble, edit it, and put it out on the 19th. So next week's episode should be about the Monsters Go Home film, which I'm really excited to do. It's actually something that Joe and Scott and I have been talking about doing for a long time. That has finally come together, and our schedule has lined up the way that it did, especially since we're dealing with a couple of different time zones and work schedules. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. So that's what's coming up next week on the show in episode 498. 499? Don't know yet. Episode 500, though, that drops on December 3rd. Now, I've had a few people reach out to me asking if they can send anything in for the 500th episode. Now, if you do want to send in a voicemail for the 500th episode, please feel free to call it in. I'll have the monsters in the machine go over the contact information again here in a second. Ideally, we're looking for voicemails or audio clips, but if you want to write an email, I'll have one of the monsters in the machine read your email here on the show. I'll go ahead and I'll mention this on Twitter and Facebook as well. Hey, speaking of Twitter and Facebook, you know we got that, right? Twitter.com slash Monster Kid Radio and Facebook.com slash Monster Kid Radio for the page. I don't remember what the group link is, but if you go to MonsterKidRadio.net, you're going to find links to the Facebook page, the group, and the Twitter, as well as everything else that we've got going on here on the show. There's a link to our Patreon page, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about next week because we had some new patrons come on board and I couldn't be more excited. Thank you for joining the Monster Kid Radio Patreon page. Check it out if you are interested to see what kind of bonuses you get for helping the show along. 
Of course, there will be links to Chris's website and Dominique's website, as well as an Amazon affiliate link to that double feature Blu-ray, The Creep Behind the Camera and The Creeping Terror that we kept talking about. That's going to be in there as well. And you know what? I haven't been doing this, and maybe I should. Do you guys and gals even use the Amazon affiliate link? I don't know how to check that. But you know what? Mark is talking about Ultra Q. Let's get Ultra Q put in there as well, because there's a really cool Blu-ray set of that available right now. So if you're interested in picking that up, please consider using the Amazon affiliate link. Also, I did have somebody reach out to me to ask about an Amazon wish list. I'm assuming they meant for the show for Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio does have an Amazon wish list. I will make sure there's a link in the show notes to that. That said, I'm not expecting anything, gang. I just love that you're here and that you're engaging with the show however you want. So like I said, Monsters Go Home next week. That'll be coming up. Once again, thank you for listening. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution on commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to you next week. Ciao. (laughs) 